Hello and welcome to the Selection Show with, uh, today with me, your host, Ian Heath. I'm joined in Citywide London studios today by Andre Piosh, John Rowe and Francis Chua, who work on Elgin's multi-index range. Today, we're going to be discussing why investors should maybe be thinking about multi-index allocations in the current volatile climate. First of all, I'd like the guys to tell me a little bit about the multi-index range, uh, what it offers and what their individual roles are on it. Um, if we could start with you, maybe, Andre. Yeah. So my name is Andre Pierre, and I'm the lead fund manager on the multi-index range. I uh, have been managing the funds since 2015, and we're coming close to a 10-year anniversary for the range that we're all very excited about. Yeah. Uh, now, the full range brings 13 funds together. So we have five funds for growth, five funds for ESG and three funds for income. But each fund within the range will be built on the same philosophy or the same core principles, which we like to refer to as the famous five pillars of multi-asset investing. So you have your suitability, which is all about risk targeting. So each fund targeting a specific risk profile, diversification, making sure we avoid any concentrated risks, active asset allocation, making sure we respond as the economic conditions evolve, engagement, and cost effectiveness. So whether you invest for growth, income, or want to go further when it comes to ESG, you have the certainty that the fund will reflect those five core principles. Okay, sure. Um, Francis, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, sure. I'm a fund manager in the multi-asset team. So I work with Andre on the multi-index range. I'm a named fund manager on the range. My job is kind of the same as Andre's. Really, what our objective is to ensure that the funds perform in line with their their kind of risk profiles. Yeah. And we want to make sure that we give clients the comfort and confidence that they will deliver what they expect to receive. Okay, sure. And John? Uh, I'm head of the multi-asset funds team, so I'm not a fund manager on them, but I provide oversight and also a sounding board for when and if Andre and Francis just want another perspective on some of the bigger changes we might be making when we change our views. And that's a role that I perform across all of the funds in the range. We really think that for the bigger decisions, making sure you've covered off all the angles and what they mean for each fund and what's quite a big range is a kind of key guiding principle. Okay, great. Thanks for that. Um, let's talk a little bit about the current climate. How do you see things at the moment in terms of the world economy? And why do you think a multi-index might be attractive at this time? Maybe we could start with you, Andre. Mm. I think when I look forward for next 12 months, the one word that comes time and time again is uncertainty. Now, we all would love to have a crystal ball and know exactly what's going to happen around recession risks in US, Europe, uh, or even geopolitical risks in Asia. Uh, but one thing that we need to acknowledge and stay humble is that we as an industry actually don't have a very good track record of when it comes to forecasting. So the one thing that you can do is to build a portfolio that will withstand a range of different scenarios. And multi-asset investing is very well suited for that because you bring different asset classes together, equities, credit, government bonds, alternatives. So when some of these asset classes struggle, you have other parts of your portfolio to rely on. And that's what multi-asset investors have been enjoying uh, for many years now. Yeah, I think just on, on Andre's point on uncertainty, we kind of stand on a precipice where in the next 12 months, there's a very good chance that the US and Europe go into recession. Yeah. But actually, if you look at past hiking cycles, there's still about a 30% chance that there's no recession at all. So those are really, really divergent outcomes. Okay. And it isn't about putting everything on red or black. It's about prepare, don't predict, 
and trying to ensure that there isn't too much exposure to any one region or any one asset class. Okay, would you say the strength of your product is you're kind of a one-stop shop? You you know you've got a big range there. You're flexible. Investors can switch quite easily. Is that is that is that what you can really offer? Yeah. So you start with the target risk profile to reflect the risk appetite of the client, but it doesn't mean that then we keep the asset allocation static. We can respond by adjusting the asset allocation as our outlook changes. Um, So reallocate between credit or equities or government bonds and cash. Uh, or add more to alternatives. But whatever we do, we really make sure that that, the portfolio remains diversified. Uh, And it's not just diversified on the top level between those core assets, it's also diversified within the asset classes. So for example, for equities, we always want to make sure that we don't end up with concentrated position in just a single geographical region, Mm. because that will bring some implicit biases that clients might not be aware of. Okay, sure. Yeah, just to add to what Andre has uh, said, you know, what you get with LGM is a wide range of options if you're a client for risk profiles. But what you also get is each, for each one of those funds, uh, access to a wide range of asset classes that are, you know, really diversified. We don't think diversification is a one-stop solution. Mm. Actually, the hidden point around diversification is that it requires constant work. It requires constant adjustments yeah. to reflect new information, new market conditions. And that's where we believe we can you know, add value for clients. Okay. Yeah, on that, I mean, the way that I characterize how we generally manage the funds is evolution, not revolution. So it's not all about big, fast changes all the time, yeah. right? It's a medium-term outlook. It, we're trying to align it with that term of investment of our clients. But we still have the nimbleness that if we did see a much bigger shift, say we got a big US recession and the whole world was in panic and fear and thought the world was ending, that's when we might look to make a bigger positive shift to actually increase our equity allocation and take advantage of that peak fear moment. But most of the time, it's evolution, not revolution. So focused on diversification and that that gradual changes that that Francis was talking about. Okay, um, I'd like to talk about allocation a little, a little bit. Actually, I understand. Um, well, you you have several income focused funds that. Uh, within your product, and I understand you feel this is a quite good uh, good place to be right now. I was wondering if you just talk me through, through that at the moment. Why do you think, okay, you know, income is um, a good place to be? Yeah, so I think the main change that happened for income investors is that they can now enjoy higher distributions from their multi-asset income funds, and because largely because of the change that we've seen within fixed income assets. So as bond yields went up, yeah, if you invest in a combination of equities and bonds. Equities uh, give you your dividends, bonds give you their coupons. That aggregate distribution is now higher. Uh, And often income investors rely on these distributions to meet their um, living needs. Um, Now, the other benefit of current environment is that you can broaden the scope of assets that provide you that attractive level of yield. So you don't necessarily have to go down the route of just investing in emerging market debt or in high yield. You have a very attractive yield now within government bonds and credit as well, which again will enhance the diversification of your portfolio. I also think there's a, there's a mental element. Now that interest rates are much higher, what we hear from advisors is that a lot of clients are saying, yes, but I could get 4% on cash. So they're starting to think about when cash rates were nearly zero, that yeah. was less of a question. But yeah. now they're actually saying, yeah, but but I'm giving up my 4%. And that's a very, it's a very kind of, 
it, it's it's a hard thing to get past. And if you're able to offer clients, well, that's okay. I've got a solution for you that's still diversified, mm. but offers a reasonable level of income that doesn't feel too far away yeah. from what you're talking about. It just helps close that mental gap that otherwise clients almost might struggle to get over because they're, they're so focused on, mm. yes, but I can get 4% in cash. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, is there any other areas you feel like we should good for diversification at the moment? We hear kind of a lot spoken about uh, gold and bonds are obviously getting a lot, lot more interesting, as you've mentioned. In terms of the alternative assets. Yeah. yeah. So for us, when it comes to alternatives, it will be a combination of things like infrastructure, things like REITs, uh, a little bit of direct property, but also commodities uh, mm -hmm. and some long-term thematics. And the recent addition uh, was actually a portfolio of forestry stocks. Uh, so it's a small allocation in the portfolio, but it's an interesting diversifier because these are companies that manage woodlands in mm. North America, Europe, and Asia. Uh, so a very different risk return profile from your standard assets. I think in terms of you know diversification, that is pretty close to what you can get. If you think about you know the value of a timberland, timberland, you know the value is in the kind of the forest itself. The trees will grow regardless of what happens to markets. Uh, so that's you know a decorrelated uh, approach. So what we were trying to get access to is that you know pure diversification and trying to add that to our portfolios. And hopefully that is an actually a really good example of how we think about diversification of the different asset classes in our portfolios. Yeah, okay. thanks, Francis. I think I think another thing worth mentioning is just we've seen relatively weak performance from alternatives over the last year or two. Mm. Now part of that is because alternatives often give quite stable cash flows. And an environment where interest rates are hiking, they can be sensitive to that. Yeah. But also, that almost means, Ian, that as you said, they, they become more attractive now because after underperformance, you should always kind of upgrade the attractiveness yeah. of something. So when I look at things like infrastructure and certain pockets of the real estate market, then actually they still offer uh, those attractive, uh, quite well-defined cash flows without excessive risk. There's a slightly different story in European real estate, but I can leave that for, for another time. Okay, sure, thank you. Okay, um, maybe just uh, one last question. It's a bit of a classic question, and it's um, active versus passive. You're obviously more on the passive side. Uh, I think a lot of people might argue at this time, you know, maybe it is a good time for active. We're kind of seeing more volatility. You've got to be more careful about stock selection. What would you say to counter that? What would you say, well, well you know, what are the selling points for passive? Mm. Yeah, so don't be fooled by the name of the funds. It's multi-index, so we use primarily index funds, but we have some uh, active building blocks as well. Yeah. And it really comes down to our conviction whether that active manager can add value yeah. and add different sort of risk from the one that we already have in the portfolio. Yeah. So, for example, when it comes to high yield and credit, we prefer an active approach. And it's great to have uh, Francis in the team because Francis has an extensive um, experience in manager research and can really dive deep into those uh, active fund managers and provide that additional insight. Yeah, I mean, my role is to look at the, uh, the fixed income universe of managers. And as Andre has said, you know, the areas where we tend to prefer active management is in high yield and global credit for this very simple reason that, you know, if you have a manager that avoids the defaults in those two asset classes, you're already adding value right. yeah. 
And if you look at you know where the liquidity is in most of these asset classes, they can be to the more kind of more in-depth companies, yeah. which may not necessarily kind of resonate in terms of you know the default uh, expectations or concerns about liquidity and so on and so forth. So managers can add value in these asset classes, which is why we tend to prefer an exposure to kind of global high yield and um, and global credit. But to kind of come back to your kind of active versus passive question, I think that's a question that's been going on forever. I don't think we will get a definitive answer. The way we think about it is much more on a holistic piece. I yeah. think they can kind of work together. It kind of depends on the solution, depends on the portfolio, depends on what you want to, to deliver, deliver for clients. Also, Francis, people often talk about this. This is a good environment for active. And clearly, you know, there's a lot of um, press focus on that. But is there actually much evidence that active managers perform better in volatile conditions? There hasn't been so far. <laughs> no, and, and I think that's what's really interesting. I mean, if you come back to the old adage, on average, an active manager has to underperform simply because everything else is owned by index investors, right? So it's a sum. Yeah. So when you come back to that, you might get greater divergence in volatile conditions because the more volatile the conditions, the the greater the divergence between stocks. So it might it might make a bigger difference, but actually the idea that there'll be more success in one or the mm. other mm. is is a different nuance. Um, so I, I would focus on that. I think the other reason to focus on fixed income, why we focus on fixed income more for, for active management is the new issue premium. It's a special premium that you can earn in fixed income that kind of doesn't exist in equities in the mm -hmm. same way. Yeah. And that kind of does give a, a bit of an extra bump to the performance. And you see that in the performance stats of fixed income active managers, the proportion of them that over the long term that outperform index funds is somewhat higher than in the equity space. Okay, sure. Okay, I think we can finish there. Thanks very much for coming in today, guys. Thank you. Thank okay. you.